Hello, this is Tim Watton. That is Cotton with the W. Welcome to the Gift podcast, which is all about the power of the mind, mindfulness, and being more present to overcome life and health challenges. Now, this we have evidence, and I have evidence through my hard fought life, gives that actually brings more resilience, calm, and joy. So we're going to have a brilliant guest today. His name is Chris Baldwin. I've known Chris for about six, seven years, and we'll circle back how we met. But Chris was born on a tropical island called Vanatu. I hope I got that right. A quick potted history about Chris, because he's a brilliant guy. He has a PhD in medicine and actually co-developed a vaccine against HIV. He is an all-rounder. He's an international rower, or has been, he was for 20 years, both for his native Australia and in the Netherlands. He, career-wise, he's a brilliant guy, a digital marketer, a serial entrepreneur, a TEDx speaker, and a keynote speaker, who's currently co-founder and CEO of Speaker Nation, which he'll tell us all about. As well as that, he's married and father of three children, and their ages are five, seven, and nine. And he's currently living in the Netherlands, get that word right. Um, Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you, Tim, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. So how did an Australian end up living in Holland? So what do you think? Well, you probably felt after a short while that Australia was too small for you or even if it's big you wanted a different challenge yeah it's the reason why men do most things you know of course it's a woman ah okay <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i met a i met a dutch girl back in 95 in australia who was living in in holland at the time and we had a five-year distant relationship until about 2000 uh and once i completed my master's in brisbane then i decided to come to Holland to do my PhD and live with her. So that's how, that's what got me to the Netherlands. So you've been in the Netherlands since what, 2000? Yeah, August 2000 is when I came. However, I've been to the Netherlands before. I came in 96 uh, and 97. I spent a year here in 97. It was, uh, I took a year off university to spend a year with her. Uh, I learned Dutch in 97, uh, most of my, you know, at least the beginnings of my Dutch. And um, so I, I knew the country and it's a nice country. It, it's much colder than Australia. It's very yeah. different than Brisbane, but it is a nice country, nice culture. Everything's organized here. Everything's clean. We ride our bicycles and, and yeah, it's just, just, just beautiful people and a nice place to live. Yeah. And I've spent quite a bit of um, my business time out in, in Holland uh amsterdam um eindhoven and also a lot of time in the hague so i I culturally can have an inkling about what you're saying it is a well-ordered country and there's nothing they won't do while cycling i've seen one lady doing a makeup while cycling it was fantastic um but yeah it's Mm. uh it's a it's a very family orientated culture yeah um now i was drawn to the fact you were a rower and i didn't realize that um so explain to me um, what type of rowing you did. Was it single skulls or, or more of a crew or a rowing unit? So I've done pretty well all forms of rowing, even surf rowing and, and river rowing, uh, beach rowing, everything. I've done skulls through the eights. I've done it for 20 years. I started when I was 13 years old, basically. Um, and... And uh, I started in Australian boarding school at Brisbane Grammar School, which is, you know, one of these private English, you know, Thai suit uh, boarding schools. And rowing is one of the main sports on the menu. So I started there uh, and then grew quickly. Uh, you know, I was invited to, to row for Australia in, in the Atlanta Olympics that also required me not going to my first year of university. So I said no. Uh, I wanted to get my studies uh, started. Um, so you turned that an I, Olympic place? 
Yeah, but it was still, it was just the squad. Like I still had to qualify and I still had to, so, you know, the, there was a big risk involved there as well. And I was still quite young at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and my studies were just, yeah, more important. I knew that if I'd done this, I wouldn't have continued my studies, right? So uh, I chose to do my studies and I still kept rowing. I just didn't, you know, I had to move from Brisbane to Canberra. It's 2,000 kilometers away. So I couldn't do both. No. Yeah, no. that's where the squad was. Okay. And, um, but I still kept rowing and, I, you know, I won Henley Royal Regatta, uh, you being from London. Uh, yeah, I know Henley. In 2004. And, uh, and, and then, um, I, you know, basically uh, I was also rowing for the Netherlands and I was in the Dutch eight that ultimately won silver at the Athens Olympics. However, I wasn't in the crew. I wasn't in the, the racing crew because I just didn't have my passport, my Dutch passport yet at the time. I got that in 2005 ah, and the okay. Olympics were of course in 2004. And, um, but I was with them on training camp and everything and no regrets. It's okay. I, I, I had a full and, and exciting rowing life and, and coached people for also a decade and, and managed to just balance the study uh, next to it as well. Yeah, uh, where I got my PhD as well. So I probably wouldn't have done if I'd really gone into rowing. Uh, at some point, my my PhD would have would have never come about. And we'll get into that story. It almost didn't. I actually quit my PhD three times because of rowing, but I still finished it. Okay. But that was because um, of of my internet life, where I managed to generate enough revenues where I could keep doing my PhD without getting paid, and and take any as long as I wanted to finish it and that was luckily my professor at the time uh, gave me that option because if there wasn't that option I probably would have quit my PhD and just gone full on into rowing okay but we might get that into that later in there in sure the, I'm drawn towards the modern day sportsmen I'm talking about elite sportsmen they talk about being I've just noticed they talk about more being present in the moment when they're playing and I mean, when you're on the water, whether it's single skulls, i.e. on your own, or with, a, with a, some teammates, it's still a very individual exercise as part of being a crew. Uh, it's a bit like cricket, where you, it's an individual sport within a team. But there are moments where they call it flow, being in the zone, but it must be, it's, it's you against your own body as well, as well as being against the other crews. I mean, how does it feel when you're in competition as a rower? Because I've never rowed, so enlighten me. So, you know, I don't, I don't know how, how quickly you want to go down the rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> that, you know, with competitive sports, there's two elements to it, in my opinion. There's the element of competition, you know, this, this, this ability to, to, to outcompete other people and to feel like a significance, to feel a certain sort of importance, right? Um, because you, you're winning, you're number one, or even if you're number two, you're striving for number one. And it's all about time and perfection and, and really it's, it's an art. It's trying to craft something out that nobody else can do, that only you can achieve this. And, and that, that's the competitive nature of it. But on the other end, it's, life is all about being in the moment. There is nothing outside of the moment. And there is nothing outside of the moment. The moment is reality. It doesn't exist. The past gone and the future hasn't happened yet. The moment is the only thing that's real. And, and any sports from, from uh, just going to the gym through to going, especially in the extreme sports, because that's where you can really see the contrast. It's all about being in the moment. Why do people go into extreme sports? is because they, they literally want to live in the moment. You cannot think about anything else in those situations and you are literally present in the moment. And that's a lot of it with rowing. It's, it's uh, very tranquil. It's a perfectionist sport. You just do the same stroke over and over and over again. And you try to perfect that, that stroke while trying to perfect that stroke in conditions that are just throwing you off course all the time, you know, from waves to wind to other people not in sync, just mm. like life tries to throw you off kilt all of the time. And it's about your ability to, to rebalance yourself, to recenter yourself, no matter what happens around you. And that's, that's the metaphor for, for rowing is that you're constantly being thrown off balance. And it's your ability to keep your balance, keep your cool, keep your calm, and keep executing 
on those strokes until you you reach perfection in your strokes okay that's and that, that that for me was was rowing okay now just this next question is a very general one so you can answer it in that way tell me something about your life that very few people would realize or you'd very rarely tell anyone Um, so I've only started to come out with this um, recently and, and I could only really do it after my father had died. He died last November and uh, it, was, um, it was quite horrific actually. It was, um, I was giving a closing keynote in Amsterdam, one of the biggest, actually the biggest search uh, marketing event in the Netherlands for 450 people. It was firstly Google. And then Microsoft, actually Microsoft first, then Google, and then me as the closing keynote speaker about 10 p.m. And that day was the day my dad was meant to die. Uh, he had a leg infection that went septic. It completely, he had gangrene all over the place. His legs were black and he had to get amputated. He said no. And, and so they just pulled the medication. And because the blood flow wasn't happening anymore, the antibiotics weren't working. So it was just a matter of hours to maximum days before he would just go unconscious and die yeah and um and this was on the day of my keynote and um of one of my keynotes and and you know i hadn't gotten any news at 6 p.m so i went into flight mode and um and and execute on my keynote i had two options i had plan a and a plan b and the plan b was more with my dad integrated into it and plan a was the, the normal keynote and, um, and I gave the normal keynote and then I, I basically booked a flight. Um, the next morning I flew to Brisbane from Amsterdam, got off the plane, ran to a taxi, the taxi speeded to the hospital. Luckily it was only 10 minutes away. And, and then I ran into the hospital ward. I could see the nurses, you know, they were all going, Oh my God, he's here. And, uh, and I, you know, because like, I, I, I saw my dad and, and he was there and, and they, they were holding off the painkillers because he was in so much pain. They were holding them off to keep him conscious for me arriving, right? Yeah. So this was a big build-up and, and they were going, when is he going to come? Because he was in, like, in excruciating pain. And, uh, and I turned up and he was just as calm as anything. And, and, uh, and I fed him his breakfast. He made a few jokes. And, and then that was it. I had about an hour with him. And, um, and yeah, that was, um, yeah, it was pretty amazing just to have an hour with him. Now he didn't die within the hour, but he was unconscious. Like after that, they, they, they pulled, they put in the painkillers, he laid down on the bed and he died 24 hours later, but he was basically non-responsive. And, and I saw him take his last breath. Mm. You know, I saw the rigor mortis set in and it's the first person I saw die. It's the first person person i even saw like it's the first funeral i turned up to and i gave the eulogy to that funeral and yeah. i gave my i used my speaking abilities to give the best speech i've ever given and it was a 15 minute eulogy that i gave and um and why, why i tell you and then i had to get back on the plane fly back to the netherlands because i had the opening keynote to the biggest marketing conference in the netherlands so i got off the plane and then gave the opening keynote the next morning uh. and and so that's the life of a speaker. Sometimes you do stuff. And, and, um, and, and I speak a lot about sort of how do I make these decisions so quickly and, 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 and really live in this, this moment. That's the only thing that's real. Why I'm telling you this story is because I had a really, really tough childhood. My dad was an alcoholic. My mum was an alcoholic. My oldest memory is my dad trying to kill my mum when I was four. I was under the kitchen table. And, and completely speechless. And, and my mum was pregnant with my, my full blood sister, my only full blood sister, eight months in, in the belly. And that is my oldest memory. And, but at the same time, I grew up on a tropical island called Vanuatu. I had the most amazing childhood any child would get. And, and so no regrets. I'm, I'm really fortunate about everything that happened. But it did let, lead to a life, a early childhood of, man looking out for myself like my mum was an alcoholic in and out of hospitals my dad basically he was a, a very brilliant man a pilot but he was also quite the the ego and the narcissist and but very charismatic too i mean everybody loved him right and um and so you know i, I was at boarding school at the age of 13 where i learned rowing 
I was on my own at the age of 15 in my own apartment. Mm. Uh, between the ages of 16 and 24 and 26, I went on adventures all the time. So I was the guy that was on their lunch break. I was running before school. I was rowing after school. I was going to the gym and every single holiday, I would just simply put a backpack on my back with the bare minimum, bare minimum and walk uh, in a westerly direction. I was in Brisbane. I just walked into the bush walkabout and I just lived on my own for weeks on end. And the longest one was 10 weeks. And I would simply just take the bare minimum. I mean, I'm talking bare minimum. I'm talking one blanket, one piece of plastic just to cover myself if it's raining at night, a knife, a slingshot. I was really good with a slingshot, a little fishing line. I catch all my own food. Um, I, 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 I grab all my own water. I didn't bring water with me, a map, a compass. And, and, and maybe I, I often had a little bit of flour and some raisins in my bag just for those little enjoyable moments around the campfire where I could bake some damper and yeah. that's it. And, and all on my own, no phone, no connection, nobody knew where I was. And I did that for almost a decade wow. and every single school holidays, every chance I got. And I think that, I, I don't know that I think that that was the foundation for a lot of things that are happening now. And that is this, this ability to, to just be self-reliant, you know, to just get things done and not rely too much on other people. And, and the, the trick then is how can I rely on other people? Because that is what business is all about, right? You need to be able to rely on other people to get the job done. So that was a big transformation that happened late in my life. It probably helped you be an entrepreneur that you weren't waiting for someone else to come up with ideas or that the, maybe the, the safety net of working in a big company and you're just a small cog you actually like leading and being the cutting edge? Oh, you know, that's what you might see from the outside. But really, at the end of the day, um, I, I try not to care too much. At the end of the day, I try to just be present in the moment and do the best I can in any given day. I just try to be the best version of myself in any given day. That's all I do. I don't try to be the leader. I don't try to be the best. I don't try to do stuff. All I do is try to be the best version of myself every single day and then just see where that takes me. And that, that is my mindset. That is, and, and that, that for some people, it annoys people because they rely on you. They want more out of you. Everyone wants something. And so when you're so centered and, and in your moment, some, some people are very annoyed with that. Other people admire it enormously because that's what they want, right? Yeah. That's what they want because they're always being pulled in a thousand different directions by other people that want something from them. So, you know, I think it's a bit of both. I try to live life on both extremes, you know, on the one side, not giving a shit about anything. And on the other side, being completely obsessed about everything. And, but I'm not in the middle. I'm not in the middle. And, and, and why I do that? You know the yin and yang, right? Yeah. The, the chaos and order. The Chinese have figured it out millions, well, thousands of years ago. Let's not say right. millions, thousands of years ago. They figured it out. Like, in order to, you know, that, that middle line, that's the path of enlightenment. That's where you live life at your fullest. That's where you're the best version of yourself. That's where you can rebalance yourself no matter what happens in your environment. Now, you know the tightrope people? Like, you, you, when you walk a tightrope in a circus, yeah. Like it's just one little thing and they have that big bar, right? That they hold for balance. And why they do that, it, 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 it broadens the center of gravity, right? It, it takes, it takes weight onto the two extremes so that they can balance at the center. Well, when you're living life at both extremes, you don't care about anything and you're obsessed about everything. Well, what happens in the middle is that you can center yourself really easily. Because you see both sides of the spectrum and you live in both sides of the spectrum. And, 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 um, and, and that's, that's a kind of the way I explain it and the philosophy I have is that I try to live life on both extremes and, and that creates peace in the middle. It creates balance. That's well explained. It, as you're talking, I just cast my mind back to watching the film Man and Wire where that Frenchman climbed in between... Uh, uh, the two um, the twin towers in America in New York, mm -hmm. 
but he that was extreme. <laughs> uh, he would have hopefully found peace up there. I think he did. Um, I'm quite keen to find out about your if there was an aha moment with you from a slight pivot in your career recently where you went from being more marketing into the public speaker co as well as a coach and setting up speaker nation was there an aha moment there, there was there were actually many aha moments and um there were actually many aha moments and and there were some key ones probably two key ones actually um you know i i never i never planned to be a speaker Actually, I don't really care much to be a speaker. Actually, my goal is to get off stage because when I'm on stage, you're not. That's, that's the philosophy I'm using, you know? So I, I, I started speaking um, about almost three years ago now. I guess time passes. I you know, it's, it was two years ago, a year ago, and it was uh, two and a half years ago, six months ago. That's, I think it's approaching on three years. Yeah. And you couldn't have, three years ago, you, you couldn't have paid me to get on stage. It was the most frightful thing ever. Like, um, and, and the reason for that is that when I was doing my PhD, so firstly, I think, you know, we, we keep discovering ourselves as we get older. We keep sort of starting to build that puzzle and keep understanding sort of our meaning. And But I think that incidence when I was four, uh, speeches under the table, mm. I think that, that played a big role in me um, being a speaker now. I'm still trying to find that link, but I think that that is one of them. Another one is when I was doing my PhD in, in about my third year, around 2003, 2004, um, I discovered the first drug-dependent virus in the HIV field, and I was co-developing a vaccine against the virus using the, the, the model that I, I'd created and, um, and as part of my PhD project. And they asked me to go and present this at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory on Long Island, just outside of New York. And it was a major event. There were about a thousand people in the room. Uh, the first row, there were Nobel laureates in medicine sitting down in front of me. And I had a 10 minute presentation, uh, 10 PowerPoint slides, 10 minutes. And I just remember how nervous I was mm. and how frightening the whole, the whole thing was. And I just couldn't remember just sitting on the side aisle close to the door, the exit, because I was nauseous and I wanted to throw up. And, and I was just hoping it would come out before, I, you know, they called me up to the stage. And luckily it did. And I popped out quickly and I threw up outside in the bushes and I came back in. And then, I don't know, the, the rest, I don't remember anything. Like, I just remember that incident. And I gave that presentation. I have no idea if it went well or not. I don't remember anything about it. I was so um, shocked. Uh, with fear and, and nerves and and then so basically i didn't speak for like uh, i say 15 years but it's probably more on 13 years i didn't i didn't get hit the stage until i hit the stage in philadelphia with gene on cystic fibrosis yeah at one of the conferences there it was xl pharma or something like that and that was the first time i presented since that incident wow so that was the yeah, and I even, CF, uh, cf foundation event yeah. yeah, yeah, we we spoke. It was in Philadelphia, and it was at a patient summit. Yeah, and uh, and basically, it was the first time I was representing the community for cystic fibrosis. And and I remember I opened the talk up with, and Gene just went, "No, don't." With, I'm so nervous right now. Yeah, I mean, one thing I teach is never tell them you're nervous. Never, never, ever, no. ever do that because no. when they give you praise. Even if you gave a good presentation, when they give you praise, you will not accept it because you will think they're just giving you sympathy. Yeah. Right. So never tell them you're you're nervous, and that's how I open. I'm so nervous right now, and um, it was a great. We got a, we got claps, and some people were standing, and we were only on our second slide. There were like 10, 15 slides. We, on our second slide, we got a big round of applause, and some people stood up it was a good presentation and it was a great presentation because gene actually cartooned out the whole thing that weekend like 48 hours be before the event every single slide was a cartoon created by gene within the last 48 hours so it was highly authentic it was highly you know and people felt and and that and and plus i was being really vulnerable because i was admitting to these things so uh, i think that a lot of people just really liked that presentation 
And that's the first time. And then I didn't present again for another few years until I got into um, the new business. And basically um, what I was tasked with is to build the new mission vision for the company, for the agency. And, um, and, and this was after a period of actually taking about five years off. Um, now I'm, 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 I'm skipping and, and jumping now. And I think for the audience, it might be a little bit um, uh, confusing. So let, let, can you cue me up with another question? Like what, what, what question were you originally asking me? Because I'm, I'm starting oh, to put in too much into one. Oh, no, question. no. It's just really just the um, lining up those moments where you felt maybe I can be a public speaker, which maybe led ah. to TEDx. Yeah. Yes. Now I, now I remember the aha moment. So all this, all this led to an aha moment because I was speaking for the agency because uh, they, they required me to speak for presenting the mission vision. And, and what I'd done, nobody could really understand. So I basically summarized in our mission vision, the whole digital ecosystem. And I, had, I, I saw that some people had trouble understanding it. So what I did, I built a model called Meaningful Connections. And it was nine words that summarizes how we build relationships through technology, which is what this is all about, mm. right? We're trying to connect and build relationships with each other now through these damn screens where we don't get to see each other. So we have to use the data to try and interpret what that means. Yeah. And, um, and so meaningful connections is something that got me to hundreds of podiums speaking for Microsoft, for Google, for, for, um, yeah, for, for these different tech companies. And, and then uh, one, one day, I was walking down the aisle because I was also onboarding trainees and new employees to understand the mission vision. And one day, uh, a 21 year old uh, boy, like a trainee, like he was just starting up and I'd been coaching him for about six months. He goes, Hey Chris, why don't you just be a speaker? <laughs> like he literally, he just came out with that question. Like, and I just rejected the notion immediately. I go, no, you don't want to do that. Speaking's boring. You just repeat yourself over and over again. It's just like a little, those little, you know, teddy bears where you pull out the string yep. and then off it goes again. Right. And it's just repetitive and it's repetitive. And, and that's how I saw speaking at the time. And so I, I brushed off the notion and I, I dismissed it. Until about three months later, when uh, I'd been working on a little model, it's just, it's a little model I've been working on. When I say I took five years off, that was the time when I got into the CF community. Remember, I did really well with one of my businesses. It allowed me to sort of semi-retire, buy a house, get married, have three kids. And I just disappeared into the French countryside for like five years. I remember. We this took a five holiday. Yeah. Yeah, that's when we first, first really met. Touch, yeah. 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 And you were uh, um, out. which part of it was it the CF um, was the website called cysticfibrosis.com? Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah, it was the biggest co online community for cystic fibrosis, the original community, maybe second biggest to the CF Foundation, of course, but it was the biggest independent community at the time, right? Okay. And Gene had set it up back in 96 when the internet was just coming about. And that's a whole other story, a whole other podcast. But for new listeners, the reason why this is important to me is because I have cystic fibrosis and um, was quite well known for my survival and hence why Chris and I were introduced to each other. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad we were. And, uh, and, and so what happened was, you know, after a few years off, just mowing the lawn, building a swimming pool, renovating my house, I started to try, what am I going to do next? You know, how am I going to, how am I going to find where I need to place my time and my attention? Where should I focus? And I started to work on this little model and it was a little model that basically it's four circles. It's what are you passionate about? What would you do for free? What would, what would you do? And you would forget to eat. You would forget to sleep. You would forget everything and you just keep going until, until you, you got sick, you know? And then the other circle is, what are you really good at? What's the skill that you are really good at that people will, will seek you out because you do this better than anybody else? Yeah. Right? And then the other one is what's the demand? So what, what's a suck at the end of the hose? What's pulling you in a certain direction? Like what are people asking you for? Or what is a niche in the market that's unsolved? There's an unmet demand. There's an unmet need. 
Yeah. Um, and the fourth circle is the plan. Do you have a plan to, to be able to make a living from where these other three circles intersect? Yeah. And so passion, skill, demand, and, and, and a plan, which is a plan can be, is everything from business model to a business case, to a strategy, all of that comes into a plan, you know, yep. action plan. Yeah. And, and then, and I've been building it. And then it just hit me all of a sudden, a few months after Antoinette asked me that question, it's like speaking. Well, I, I, at this point, I love to speak. Like it's a great place to communicate. You have focused attention in this digital ecosystem where it's all fragmented. And so I'm really, I, I was really passionate about speaking. I wanted, I wanted to do more of this. Right. It's you could that's once I've done it a few hundred times, you couldn't get me off stage anymore. I was really comfortable up there. And and what's a skill? Well, everyone was telling me I'm really good at speaking. I, I dismissed the notion a hundred times. No, 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 get out of here. And and um and I, I just rejected it, rejected it, rejected it. But they were giving me a gift. They were giving me a gift saying, Hey, you you're good at something. Yeah, and I was re rejecting that gift, and eventually I started accepting it. Okay, well maybe you got a point. Maybe maybe I am a good speaker. I don't know. I started to at least accept it, but I was I, now I've realised. Well, it's a skill that I have, and the demand. Well, everybody kept asking me to speak. I was being asked multiple times a day, so there was definitely a demand for it. And then a plan or a business model. Uh, well, I didn't know, but there is a business behind speaking. Oh my God, now I speak twice a month and earn enough to make a living and support my family and three kids. I only need to work two days a month. Mm. And I've got the other time is all free. It's, yep. it's an amazing, and, and you get to travel and speaking is a hundred percent margin business. They, they pay you to market yourself. So you get paid to go on stage, market your products, your business, your ideas, your perspective, so that people will hire you for consultancy. They'll want to work with you. You get paid to market yourself. Plus, they pay for your travel, your hotel, everything. So the fee that you get is 100% profit margin. So it's like, oh, my God, there's a business behind speaking. And, and you could basically be a speaker, speak two or three times a month, and then fund a whole new business out of that activity, which is yeah. what I'm doing now. And, and so when I start to put these four circles together, I realized, oh my God, at this center is where I need to be focusing my time and attention and effort right now. That and that's awesome. what led me to be, yeah, that's what led me to being a, a professional, in, in quotes, professional speaker, because I wouldn't call myself a professional speaker. Um, I, I don't rely, well, you know, I don't even know what a professional speaker means, but like a professional sportsman, like rowing was always an amateur sport. Yeah. Like, but anyway, a speaker at least. And there, there's definitely, um, um, you can definitely be, uh, there's definitely a business behind speaking. And, and for me, it made a lot of sense to at least try this, right? Because that, that's how I left my organization. I wrote a letter and it was, the hashtag was just try. Like you're never going to know unless you try. Okay. So um, as you were speaking, I was drawn towards a quote that's either credited to Pablo Picasso or Shakespeare. And the quote is, the meaning on life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And that seems to resonate thoroughly with what you've just said, in as much that with your, uh, your company that you're setting up, and you referenced this earlier on, the gift is to be able to speak, but you're trying to give it away. You said you want to get off stage. You want to bring people and give them a chance because I believe this is one of your mantras with Speaker Nation. People are only one speech away from transform transforming their life or business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the one thing I, I never knew as a, as a kid and even growing up through university is how important effective communication is. Oh, my God. It is the foundation to all growth, success and happiness in life. Not just at your work, in your business, but also at home with your kids. I mean, learn to communicate effectively with your kids. That is, you do that and, and you can speak from the stage. <laughs> you know, that is the last frontier to try and, oh my God, they're the best marketers of all. And um, so, you know, communication, powerful and effective communication. And that's really, 
the ability to have a voice. I mean, when you look at any, anybody that's done anything great in this world, uh, nine out of 10, maybe even 99 out of 10, ha have done it through a speech, through the ability to get up, stand up, and have the courage to say what needs to be said. Right, yeah. Martin Luther King, Barack Obama, and and you can, but also Adolf Hitler. I mean, you can use this for good, and you can use this for bad. Right, but they through a powerful voice, you have the ability to influence not just people but nations, and um and so and so um and often it comes down to one speech. Yep. I have a dream speech or, you know, Simon Sinek, start with why, how influential has he become now? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it comes down to this one talk that, that just sparks off everything. And some people don't, not everybody does it through a voice. Some people do it through writing, right? It can be a book as well, but it's still a story that you're sharing. It's, it's a perspective. It's your perspective on a certain issue or on how you see the world. And, um, and so that's why this one talk away, it's you often one talk away from your next opportunity. That's happening to me all of the time. Every single opportunity I'm getting is coming from a previous talk now. And, 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 um, but you can even boil it down to your one story away from your next opportunity from potentially transforming your business. Because how often have we latched onto a business where we've believed and related to the, the founding story of that entrepreneur and why they're doing that, right? Yeah. Stories have such powerful, um, um, are such are so powerful in order to influence change. And one of the, the, the metaphors, not metaphors, but one of the quotes I use is it's stories that inspire change. I think I got that from Seth Godin at some point. Stories inspire change. And they have done since the beginning of time, since the beginning of our evolution. It's been stories around the campfire. And now it's stories from, from a stage, from a podium behind a microphone. And, and now that we're in a digital ecosystem where everything's fragmented, attention is fragmented, we're having a tough time telling stories because people are all over the place. And yeah. it's the company that can tell the better story that sells the more products, you know, think of, you know, the companies that you consume from often they have stories that you relate with. And if they don't, then it's just a transaction and you will be perfectly okay moving to the next company if they offer you a better deal. Yeah. And you will stay with that original company only if you believe in their ideals and the story that they're trying to sell you. Yeah. Now you mentioned five, six years ago, you did that speech. Um, at the CF uh, CF um, community. Now, try and explain to me the difference between how present you are on stage now when you speak versus maybe then or that first time when you spoke about the HIV um, uh, virus. And, and just explain to me, you know, do you feel that flow when you're on stage? And there was a quote, and I'm sure if it's quoted to, accredited to Benjamin Franklin, but the best part of a speech are the pauses. And I don't know whether that's something you um, agree with, but when you're up on stage now, do you just feel that extra essence and power by being super present? Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, I won't answer this question as most people will. Like I'm writing a book at the moment about the journey that I, I went through over the last year and how, how I manifested all this stuff so quickly, right? And um, on the one side, speaking is, is the most uncomfortable place. You're the center of, of attention, right? And that's, it, the funny thing is that's what we seek from the moment we're born, attention. Attention is what we seek. And, and in the beginning, any attention is good attention. And then that attention, the, what we want, it becomes selective, right? We only want it for certain people, with certain requirements and then we become much more um, stringent the, the filter gets thicker and thicker as we grow older and um, but when you get on stage all of a sudden you have all the attention and so it can be a place where you feel yeah, the ego starts to come out and you feel quite you know it, it's like narcissistic you know it's like why is everyone looking at me why is everyone listening to me and yeah and, um, and and that's that's the it's a blessing and a curse. It's, it's beautiful because that you feed on that. It gives you so much energy, yeah. so much fulfillment. It's like, Oh my God, like 
it's like uh, you know overcharging a battery I don't know it's like like uh, an action hero movie and but on the other side it's not about you it never is about you it's always about them and and it's always about yourself like life is the, the universe revolves around us it revolves around our minds because that's the only thing that's real that's the only that's the only thing and um, and so and so um, it's really great speaking is about understanding that it's not at all about you. It, you are now a conduit. You, you are bringing a perspective. None of your ideas are yours either, by the way. They've all come to you from some other place. All you do is recombine them and give us perspective. Yeah. So from a book to a speech, and, and it has to be related to what the audience needs and wants at that particular moment right so so um can you repeat the original question that you gave no it's just really asking about how you feel and use your mindset around presence to be more of an effective speaker okay good Uh, i now remember where i was going so you know we talk about so i believe that um advertising is about getting people's attention and marketing is about turning needs into wants. And where it all goes wrong is where we start turning wants into needs, where we're marketing the wrong things, where we're basically getting people addicted to stuff they don't, they don't need. And, um, and, and how, how to actually, and stories are used to do that, right? Stories inspire people to change and, 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 and behave. And, um, and it, so it becomes a matter of attention, right? But I've taken the level further because attention, attention is a zero-sum game. You can only spend it in one place at a time. This is why the tech companies, this is why Facebook buys WhatsApp for $20 billion when it's a company not making any money with 50 people in Silicon Valley, right? Attention is a zero-sum game. You can only spend it in one place at a time. But people can choose where they spend their attention. When people are in the audience, they can choose to pull out their phone. And, and scroll their feeds or do their email and spend their attention somewhere else. So I have to earn that attention, right? Yeah. I have to earn it with a great story, a great speech, something that they feel, oh my God, I can't miss this. I have to listen to this. It's more important than anything else right now. Even those emails coming in or those ping messages trying to take my attention away. Yeah. Um, but I've taken it to a level deeper because I believe that people feel what you feel. Not always. There, there are some exceptions, but in the in the mass, the vast majority, people feel what you feel. That means that if you feel inspired on stage, people are going to start feeling inspired. If you can tell a story that that connects that uh, those feelings through, then the story is the narrative that connects those feelings. If you feel passionate, people will feel passionate. And uh, turn it around. If you feel nervous. What do you think? How are they going to feel for you? Yeah, yeah. Nervous, right? People feel what you feel. But if you feel present, they're also going to feel present. You're probably feeling it now, like I'm doing it now. Like if I'm so present in this moment, you're feeling present. You're not thinking about what's going on around you right now. And so this is a little hack I've, I've learned over the last year that I've been speaking is in order for, I need them to be present. I need more than their attention. I need them to be present and in their presence is their attention. And it, the only way I'm going to achieve that is to be fully present myself. Yep. And so, and so that is the feeling that I want to be synonymous with me. I want people to feel present when they hear me speak. And, and I have three of them. I have the presence is the first one. Inspired is the second one. So through my words and through the message that I'm delivering, I want them to feel inspired. So I must feel inspired about the words I'm saying. That means I need to feel, I need to live a full and interesting and inspired life that I can share from the stage with all the perspectives and all the work and all the models and whatever comes into that. And the third one is energized because, um, so when I'm on stage, I'm often quite animated. I'm quite energized and, and I want to feel that way and behave that way so that they start to feel that way and behave that way too. Because what I wanted them to do now is to take action on what I just said. And for that, they need to be energized. They need to be at a state of energy where they go, okay, I'm going to send that email or I'm going to send that message or I'm going to make that note or I'm going to, you know, 
put that on my to-do list or I'm going to actually take an action of some sort that's going to result in some sort of behavior change after I finish speaking. Yeah, yeah. The next day, the next week. Sometimes it could be five years later. Who knows? Yeah. You know, like me, like uh, sometimes three months later, like that Anton said, and then it, it sparked me three months later. It doesn't matter when it happens. It just has to happen. And for that, you need some sort of catalyst. And that catalyst comes through the energy that I try to inject into them or get them to bring out of themselves. Okay. Well, the parallel for me when I do either do communication or speak on stage is what I want my audience to know, what I want them to feel, and then what do I want them to do? No, feel, do. And uh, it's a power of three again. Um, so there is some parallel with your power of three. Nice. Um, you referenced yeah. a few minutes ago about the power of the mind. Um, maybe just give us a, a quick summary of what you've learned about the power of your mind. So what I've learned is that everything starts in the mind. Everything. Like it's, um, it controls everything that you do. You know, from a sport. Like I've done many different sports. I've got black belts in a number of disciplines. I do boxing, weights, rowing, running, swimming. And it's all about the mind controlling the body. You know, and it's all about the mind through neural networks, controlling muscular movement that controls skeletal movement that, you know, gets blood pumping around. And it's, the mind controls everything, but it also controls your thoughts. Yep. And it controls your actions and it controls your behavior. And so how are you programming that mind? How are you programming it? Like, what are you taking in? Like, I can't believe the shit people are exposing themselves to. The media, the television, the advertising, the marketing. Oh, my God. You are infecting your mind with shit that's going to get you to behave in someone else's best interest. Yeah. So what I say, stop it. <laughs> you know, it's that UK... Uh, there was a really funny thing in a UK uh, five minute video uh, about some woman that is afraid of getting buried in a coffin alive. Okay. And she goes to a psychologist. Uh, have you heard that one? No, no. Uh, uh, I forget. I forget the name. I'm sorry, but I should, I probably shouldn't have brought it up. But the, basically the remedy was that was stop it. But that is the cure to anything. If you don't want to be doing something, then, then just stop it. And, yeah. and that is the cure to actually everything. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So how are you programming that mind, right? And I've got, um, so I read this, this book, uh, you know, at some point when I turned 40, it was um, around those time, around the time when I met you, um, maybe just, yeah, around the time when I met you, just afterwards, I started to read a book because I never read in my life. I'm completely dyslectic. I never read a book. I, the Hobbit was the only book I read and I read it 50 times. And most of it, I had other people read it to me. And, but then I discovered audio books. And I started to read a book a day, listen to a book a day. And I did that for three and a half years, every single day, for three and a half years, one book. And so I went through about a thousand books. And one of those books was The Master Key System. Yes, I read it. Napoleon Hill. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, it, well, actually, I don't even know if it's Napoleon Hill. It's actually, it's ah, what fed all of his books. Yeah, it's the sorry. original. Yeah, it's the original. Sorry, it's, yeah. No, it's not Napoleon Hill. Like, think and be rich. Uh, what is it? Think and be rich, all that. that. That was fed out of this book. This is the original master copy. And you can't even get it in a book anymore. It's like 24 tapes. And it, it is on Audible. And it is on, on some of these streaming platforms. And I read it. And basically, the, um, the you know... It, you've read it, right? And, and it's the power of the mind and that the mind controls everything. So how are you programming that mind? And, and then I came with a be, do, have. And the be, do, have concept is be who you want to be, do what that person should be doing, and you will have everything that that person has. And it's so simple. It's so simple. But most people, you know, they're, 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 they're doing stuff and they're doing it outside of, of they're just doing stuff and they're often doing stuff for somebody else because somebody else told them to do it. They don't know who they want to be in this world. They haven't figured that one out. Yeah. And, and so what I, what I did was I just simply said, well, I want to be the speaker. Simple. I want to be known as a speaker. When you hear the word, Chris, you think speaker. When you hear the word speaker, you think Chris, that's all I want. It's a branding play. And so what do I have to do for people to think that? Right. 
and 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 um and that that's that's as simple as it gets i mean that's that's how that's what sort of catapulted me into doing all the stuff that i was doing in order to have what i have now and um and so but it start it goes back to this thing of the mind is who do you want to be and 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 who you are is all influenced by your mind what do you believe what are your values and and where did those come from yeah right where did those come from and and so one of the quotes i use and this one i made by the way uh, i'm always into these quotes because all these books i try to collect everything but everything the, the one i use all the time is everything is in life I'll, I'll just start it again everything in life is a lie until you choose to believe it mm, okay. that helps you it helps you question everything around you not that you have to question it like some things you can take them for granted they've come from a place you trust your mum your dad potentially and it's as good as true right um however you can choose because it's a choice what you believe whether it's true or false is ultimately on you it's your choice and that is my ted talk the choice is yours yeah my ted talk is is all about that that choice is always yours stop blaming other people you're the only one to blame for your actions like that it's your choices in the end yeah, yeah. and so but, but how are these choices being fed how are they being programmed in and that all starts with your mind so what is programming your mind and and so so at the end of the day because I, i've talked a lot of philosophy here how to apply this is simple the first question you need to be asking yourself is what do i want it's the hardest question to answer it's really easy as a kid you know it's really easy to know what you want and as you get older you want so much that you lose the ability to sort of clarify on that question what is it truly that i want yeah and so answer that question first and then think okay what do i need to do in order to get that yeah and 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 then okay um what strategy do i need in order to execute a plan so that i'm going to ultimately get what i want and and that's um basically how i developed my last year you know just with that simple framework okay now i'm conscious of time um you're a busy man um is there one habit or routine that you do daily uh to get you more present or take you off autopilot that um, our listeners would benefit from hearing about so one of the questions people ask me sometimes is how are you doing so much in your life like how did you live so many things and and um you know i started as a rower we started with rowing right and what do rowers do what is characteristic of a rower like if you were to guess what is characteristic of a rower rhythm motion presence i'm throwing it out in, in the form of habits daily habits oh, when do they train repetition yeah repetition and when do they train when or where when probably on the river on the no oh in the, in the gym and then you transfer it and what time of the day early early right rowers are characteristic of getting up really really early now when i'd say i started rowing at 13 when i was 14 15 16 17 i was often getting up at 3 a.m wow running two hours to the rowing to the river and then rowing between five and seven a.m and then going to school i i just got up really early and so i'm an early bird and and i like to get up really early and i find that that is the best moment to come up with incredible thoughts and incredible plans and strategies it's an incredible time to reflect so what i do i get up early and you know your mind assimilates stuff when you're sleeping right that meaningful connections model i dreamt that up i got up at 3am on a sunday morning i wrote out those nine words in 40 minutes and then never changed since no one's even questioned them and it's taken me to hundreds of podiums i literally dreamt that up at 3am in the morning and so what i do i get up early and i don't try to do anything i don't try to start my to-do list i don't try to get stuff done get shit done and, and and start the day off well and get it all done by 9 a.m no no i get up early and i just let my thoughts wander 
I just let my thoughts wander. And you'd be amazed what happens because your brain's been assimilating the stuff from the day before and the days before and the months before. And then just these thoughts start to pop into your head. Yep. And, and you need to just recognize them and, and take them down and make notes. And then in that, in that wandering state, I start to plan, I start to strategize, and I start to sort of give structure to these thoughts. And, and some mornings I might not come up with anything. And other mornings I come up with my next business. Yeah. Right? But yeah. It, and then so it's about, it's about um, doing this on a regular basis. It doesn't happen at once. It's about being highly patient about it. You know, I, those 300 and, or those uh, three and a half years, I read a book a day. Well, yep. you need patience, right? And it's the same thing with this habit. So what I've done, I've, I, what I live by my, my life by three principles, just three. And, and they're called the Groundhog Principles. And it's based on Groundhog Day. You yep. know, the, the movie with oh, Bill Murray in it? Bill Murray. And it's about the day. Yeah, it just keeps repeating itself over and over again, and he keeps optimizing the day and optimizing his yeah. his actions. And at the end, I think he gets the girl right. Yeah, it's Andy McDowell, which we'd all like to get. But anyway, yes, I know the film very well. <laughs> so, so basically, these three um, principles um, uh, they they even rhyme. And the first one is start start our day the groundhog way. So start your day the same way every day, okay. and and um, and just start your day right. Right, and the second one is um, if in doubt, go without. So if I doubt something, I'll go without it. I'll say no by default. Okay. And when I say doubt, I mean the gut feeling. Yeah. I mean your inner true self, your the stuff that your instinct, the stuff that's hard to influence from the outside. You know, your conscious brain is easy to influence. Your subconscious, much much harder to influence. That's programmed from the day you're born, right? So if in doubt, go without. At the same thing is if, you, if, if it feels right down here, and if your gut says, yes, this is something I, I need to do, whether people like it or not, then go for it, right? It works in reverse as well. Yeah. And the third one is taking action makes it happen. Nothing happens unless you take action. The universe rewards action. You know, uh, dreams without action are just dreams. They're just thoughts. They, they, nothing will eventuate until you take action. So taking action makes it happen. So I default towards action with the things that I feel I need to be doing right from the gut. And I just live my life in daytime chambers. It's Dale Carnegie, you know, it's... Yeah, I just read that book, How Not to Worry. Yeah, I know that... That's, that's right, that's right. Airtight chambers. And, you know, you can't worry about yesterday. It's gone. There's nothing you can do about it. All you can do is learn from it. There's nothing you can do about tomorrow. You can plan for tomorrow. It hasn't been written yet. It's all up to you what happens. The only thing you have control of is the moment. And, that's the, and the crazy thing is, is the only place where you can make a choice. And, and life is all about choices, right? You're accumulating the choices you've made throughout your life. There's nothing, there's nothing more important than the choices that you make. And, and um, because they dictate every single action, right? And, yeah. and because an action starts with a choice. So that's what the other thing you can't take an action without making a choice. It's that's, that's, that's where it starts. And choices are made through mind, through, through what's happening up there in your brain. Okay. And so, and so, um, uh, taking, um, damn, I lost my train of thought. Well, I was um, going to say, say to you, Chris, that because this podcast is the gift, can you just re repeat those three uh, the groundhog rules, because I think that's going to be the gift I'm going to get. And hopefully my listeners, if you could just repeat them one, two, three. Yeah. So rule number one is start our day, the groundhog way. Rule number two is, um, if in doubt, go without. Yep. And principle number three is taking action makes it happen. Great. I'm, as I said, conscious of time. And I know we're going to have to get you back because there's more we can delve into. We're just uh, tapping the surface, I think. But if people want to get in contact with you, learn more about Speaker Nation and just generally uh, learn from you and your insights, how can they contact you? So I'm present on all social media channels. Uh, LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me. Probably LinkedIn is the best place on a professional level, but you can also find me on Instagram and on Facebook, Chris Baldwin, 
And if you put PhD behind my name, then you'll always find me because I think I'm the only one. Okay. Uh, but Chris, there's a lot of Chris Baldwin's out there. So sometimes that can be pretty um, noisy space. Good. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. And as I said, I think we can get you back on and learn more. Um, I hope listeners enjoyed that. I certainly did. And have taken on the Groundhog Day rules. Um, and want to watch that film again because of Andy McDowell. Um, yeah. So... So thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, do f- subscribe. Do tell others about the GIF podcast because I want this podcast to grow organically and word of mouth is where it really helps. Um, you can reach out to me, Tim Watton, at that name on most social media platforms. And as I always finish these podcasts, I leave you yours cup half full. Thank you very much. <laughs>